Good morning, everybody. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. We're about to worship this morning, and as we open up with the first song, um, I want you to be my choir. <laughs> Back me up. <laughs> so you're going to sing along with the, uh, the, the worship team as we sing, and we're going to give God praise this morning. So everybody, if you can, stand to your feet and let's worship.
you pray with me, please? Dear Lord, thank you for inspiring the Apostle Paul to write the book of Colossians. Help us, please, to let those words of his fill our hearts and minds with the glorious life you gave us in the moment we believed in you. At that moment, we died and were raised with you to a new life, one that is no longer a part of this world. If we truly understand the enormity of this transformation to new life in you, then we won't go through our days on this earth as mythical zombies, dead but not really dead. We so easily slip into this mode by hanging on to old habits, by leading a life shaped by things and feelings instead of by you. This equates to shuffling along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of us, Instead, help us to do what Paul advised, as paraphrased in the Message Bible. Look up. Be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. God has given us a new wardrobe for this new life, clothing us with compassion, kindness, humility, and quiet strength, and most of all, love. It is your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. So, dear Lord, we thank you for your invitation to us to live in your kingdom now so that every detail of our lives, words, actions, and thoughts be done in your name. And as we live this new life in you, we sing our hearts out to you in grateful praise. In your name we pray. Amen. As you entered, you may have noticed you would have gotten a bulletin on this. We have a connect card and a prayer card. And please do, if you haven't done so before, um, fill out that connect card and allow us to get in touch with you. And also take note, we have a, a special um, pack of shoebox announcement on there as well that shows that even on October 30th, we're looking to collect um, some boxes for the pre at the preschool or the front office throughout the week. Um, so you can look online as well to find out more about uh, that activity. And uh, please do send us your prayers as well. We have a prayer team who works diligently to try to pray over the congregation for your individual needs and collective needs. Um, so we, we do appreciate staying connected on, on, on those levels. So I'd like to now bring up Scott Schimmel for the message of the morning. Good morning, everybody. If you were watching sports yesterday, which we, you should have been, uh, hold on, we'll get there. Uh, I saw a couple Christmas commercials. Have you seen them yet? It's nuts. And then I saw the Operation Christmas Child out there. Like This is early. It gets earlier and earlier every year. Tis the season. Happy day, right, for you Padres fans? Happy day. <clears throat> I'm a Dodgers fan. So we got a different message this morning. <laughs> 
Uh, I am a lifelong Dodgers fan, born and raised. Uh, we've had a lot of high moments as Dodgers nation, but I mean, I was talking about with Jay in the back. Last night was electric. If you saw the game, if you don't know what happened, the Padres won and they like never do and they never have. <laughs> and it's a big deal. It's, and it's, uh, it's especially exciting right now in this city to just be a part of this thing that's happening. It's, it's a story that's unfolding. And if you didn't pay attention early in the season, the, or the last really few seasons, the manager, this general manager, the guy that is the, the head of monopoly of the team, like who buys which properties, he's been making these huge moves. You know, the guy that lands on boardwalk says, I'll take it, and I want a hotel on it, and I want five hotels on it. Those are the moves he's been making strategically. And then the great gamble is, will these properties pay off, these huge players pay off? And now you're starting to see it a little bit. You're starting to see, not a little bit, a lot of bit. And we are a part of a story. Those of us from San Diego, we don't really have a story here. Besides, it's nice to be outside. We don't really have a collective story, a narrative that draws us together. Most of us come from different places. Have you ever been to somewhere like Green Bay? Uh, or, or I can't stand Seattle fans. I, most of my friends from college are from Seattle. I, just, I hate Seattle teams. And I always say, like, do you guys have nothing else to do besides root for your teams up there? Because you're just, you bleed for these teams. Not really us in San Diego. We don't really, really bleed for our teams down here. Chargers leave, and some of us are upset, but most of us are like, well, at least we still have here. <laughs> well, what's the loss? But last night and the last couple nights, we're, we're, being a, we're coming uh, and being caught up into this new story. What if? What if this could actually change the narrative in this city? What if we could be a part of something great? That's honestly what we all want. We all want to be part of something great. Nobody wants to be a part of a mediocre story. Year after year, have you, if you've been a Padres fan, raise your hand if you've been a Padres fan for a long time. It's been a mediocre story. And yeah, we, we talk about Tony Gwynn, but Tony Gwynn was a long time ago. We talk about these other stars that have come and gone, where it's, it's been a team that, hi, that, that brings on has-beens and then lets them go right when they get good. That's the story of the Padres. But what if there's something great that could happen? Uh, yesterday, I was on the soccer fields, as I do on Saturdays, soccer Saturdays, and I've been coaching all of my kids, but one, uh, my youngest now, it's really my last opportunity to coach one of my kids. And and she's starting, unfortunately, to get all these different interests, like ballet. Apparently, they won't let me coach ballet. <laughs> Dance, gymnastics, ballet. I don't know what she's into right now, but it's, it's shifting every week. And I can see the, the writing on the walls. Her interest in soccer is certainly waning. And if I'm honest, I've been you know, just signing her up the last couple seasons. Uh, until yesterday. And uh, if, if, if you've never seen her game, which you haven't, but she is a defender. She stays back by the goal, and nothing gets past Jane. She's just, uh, there's this term, the sweeper. She sweeps it up. So nothing, nothing, no mess gets into the goal when she's back there. Part of that is because she's really good at it. The other part is because every single time on the way to the game, she says, whatever you do, Daddy, do not put me in offense. And I will always say, Jane, we all have to, you know, uh, we all have to play our roles, and we all have to, we're trying new things. You're seven, you're eight, you're nine. But then at the end of the day, I mean, really, she's the best defender, and she really doesn't want to be there. And if you've ever seen a little kid's soccer game, some kids just can't help themselves but play the position that they're wired for. You tell a girl to go on forward, and you just watch her literally walk backwards, to, back towards the goal. You tell a, a girl, yesterday there's a girl that's just a pure forward on her team, always going to score goals. 
I put her, she had scored like three already, so I said, you're on defense now. And she just watched the ball go right by her. Watched it, just stood there. She froze and stood there, and I'm screaming Emerson at the top of my lungs. And then she looks at me, and she goes, I'm sorry, I never played defense. I'm like, obviously, and you never will again. But Jane, yesterday, uh, last week, I, I put her on an offense because I just am trying to teach her that lesson. We all play different parts. We all serve. And she played pretty well. And she said a couple times this week, are you going to put me on an offense again this week? And it wasn't the way it's always been said. It was kind of an optimistic, are you going to put me on offense again? And I said, well, yeah, I put you on offense every week. And, but she was excited about it. So put her on offense. Uh, she scored two amazing long-distance goals. Now, amazing, she's so proud of herself, and a girl that's, you know, hasn't been interested in soccer, spent all afternoon yesterday kicking the ball against the, the garage, which was annoying to me, but she's kicking the ball against the garage, and now she's interested in soccer again. But let's talk about me for a second. <laughs> let's talk about us. Uh, in, in many ways, I've been a part of this story as a coach and her story, and, uh, you know, she's way more interested in the snacks after the game than the game itself. If, and, and if she was honest, she is honest. She'll say that. <laughs> and, uh, and, and for me as the coach, and oftentimes in youth sports, the coach is really coaching the best kid on the team, which is their kid, and they get the most playing time and the all-star. That's not been my experience per se. I'm saying this very delicately. Obviously, this is going to be on YouTube someday. Uh, but something happened to me yesterday as I'm walking off the field and get into the car, and I'm, I'm uh, almost physically restraining myself from saying anything because what I want to say is, let's go home and practice some more. What if you scored three goals next week? And because it's not about her at this point, uh, it's uh, my story. What if, woo, what if she got really good? And, I don't know. Maybe it's like a Disney story. I've, I've had her on defense all the time. What if she's really a striker? She scores goals from long distance. She's amazing. What if that's actually because of me? What if I can keep coaching her till 12 and 14 and then we got to go club sports and get, and get her on a travel team? What if she plays high school? I mean, that has happened to me in a split second walking off the field yesterday. And there's always going to be a temptation with our lives to make something, to make a story that is really compelling, but not necessarily grounded in reality. Uh, last night uh, was my, my wife and I, we went to USD. It was our 20th college reunion party, I guess. It's, we went to USD, so USD doesn't have a big sports team. There was a game, I think. I think there still is a football team. But it was really an organized event at a restaurant last night, and, and the key organizer was one of my best friends in college who lives up in Seattle and flies down almost every year for the homecoming weekend, and, and it's really, as far as I can tell, it's his thing. He loves it, just loves coming down, and he'll say, I got to get out of Seattle and go enjoy the sunshine, but a big part of it is he's the most extroverted social person you can imagine, and so for months, really three or four months now, I've been on this group text uh, of him organizing with all these people. You're going to be there, right? You're going to be there. And he is a really efficient, effective recruiter. And I told him yesterday at 4 p.m., I wrote a text that said, you are my least favorite person to disappoint. <laughs> we will not be there. And I had a lot of reasons. Uh, I had a lot of reasons. My wife was taking our daughter up to Temecula for some cheer events, which got canceled because of lightning and thunder. But that was, so that was one big problem. Could we have found her a ride? Perhaps. 
Uh, my son was going to take my car because he had a date with his girlfriend, maybe go to a pumpkin patch, but I could have rearranged that, of course. The Dodgers game was on, Padres, and that was a big deal to me. So I had all these reasons not to go to the college reunion. But if I'm being honest, it's because I didn't want to have the small talk with people, honestly, I hardly remember. We weren't really friends back then. I mean, you all, you all go through this every 10 years or so, whether it's high school or college, and you have the same sort of questions come up. Am I going to go? And some of you are like, I organized that event. How dare you not go? Others of you, I've like, I've never gone and never will. And I kind of sit in between. I just imagine myself going to have these conversations, and the question is going to be, so what have you been up to for 20 years? And all of a sudden, what we're having conversations about is the story of our lives. What have you been up to for 20 years? Who are you? What have you done with yourself? What have you made with yourself? Where are you at? And the conversations likely, because I've had a bunch of these, and you have too, are going to be about the trips you take, the kids and the travel teams that they're on, the bathroom that you're remodeling. It's going to be about the company that you started. It's going to be these series of accomplishments Rarely, I don't know, at least I haven't had this experience, where we sit around with a bunch of old friends at just a social event like that and say, man, how are you struggling with that addiction that I saw you start in college? I mean, we just don't have those kinds of conversations. <laughs> how did that marriage turn out that we all sat in the back and thinking, hmm? <laughs> like, we don't actually dig into the real story at those events. And frankly, I just, maybe I'm at this age, maybe I'm becoming a curmudgeon, I just don't want to talk about these false stories. I don't want to do my version of it. I don't want to hear your version of it. If you want to get together and literally talk about the real stuff, I'm, I'm going to be the first one there. What is that about all of us? We're going to talk this morning. Steve asked me to come and talk about how to make the most of your life. What I'd like to do is, one, take us through a, a passage of Scripture that uh, in Colossians, as, as Sherry led the prayer, is a passage of Scripture that can be used as a mirror and a... And a a lens and a grid to look at your life and look through the lens of meaning and potential and who are you becoming. But also, I want to help us look at our lives. I want to look at my life. Who have I become? Who am I becoming? What story am I in? And there are multiple narratives at one time. You know that. It's not just one story. Uh, if I was there last night and someone said, tell me about what's going on, I'd say, in which way? Which story are you asking? Are you asking about my marriage narrative? Are you asking about me and my kids? Are you asking about me at work? Are you asking about me and, and all this stuff I wonder about and worry about? Are you, which story are you asking? There's multiple narratives. You have different roles. People see you in different lights. You have different ambitions. So how do we look at all this? There's actually a way to do it. And what I want to uh, kind of set up initially as we look at this uh, is, is, I've been using this term narrative and story, is that there are, uh, there, there are different characters in stories, and we play all of them. There's certainly a hero, and we'll get to that, and there's certainly, uh, if you think of in the great stories that I like, Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, there's always a guide, an old wise sage, a Yoda, an Obi-Wan Kenobi, Someone that comes alongside the hero and helps them transform. So there's hero and guide. There's also victim and villain. And really, all those characters are inside of us. And we can switch roles at any given point and in a given narrative within our lives. Uh, let's talk about first the victim. 
the victim mentality, and don't nudge anyone next to you, but some of us play this better than others. The victim mentality, it's just generally, and, and there are real victims, so that, that's not what I'm talking about, real victims, people who've been victimized and harmed. I'm talking about a mentality. Uh, victim mentality is what I get is what I get. Life just happens to me. Someone left me, uh, the business didn't work out, no one handed me down anything, here's what happened to me. It's just a mentality that says fate is in charge. And I can get there. I, I get there throughout the day. I, I, geez, what, it's, it's a bit of a woe is me. Uh, gosh, I wish it worked better. Man, I wish they saw me for who I really could be. Why didn't they say yes to the deal? I don't know. It's just, it's not, something is in charge and it's not me. The other one is the villain. And there are real villains. I'm not talking about real villains. I'm talking about a villain mindset. A villain mindset is when you feel like victimized, when I feel like, gosh, man, they're just not going my way. I feel pretty small and I feel uh, powerless. And the quickest way to get out of that feeling is to make other people small. That's when I become the villain. And I'm really, really good at this. I'm really good at pointing fingers. Well, they, well, she's she, and this whole organization, and they just don't get it, and they've, they've never done anything really innovative before. Whatever the, the, the script of being a villain is, it is to make other people small. There she goes again. There he goes again. That's what they've always done. It's the eye rule. And I want to I make you feel as small or smaller than me, as though that's going to solve things. So, we all have those. We all have those roles. Now we're going to turn to Colossians chapter 3. It's in this context of this series of what does it mean to be rooted in Christ. And Paul talks about it a lot, specifically in his letter to the church in Ephesus. And here it's a different letter to a different church. But he has this, a knack for having the same themes and writing them in different ways. Got to put my glasses on. I'm in this new story of being old. <clears throat> Here it is in chapter 3. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in place of honor at God's right hand. And here's the key part. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. That's the very aspirational part. That's kind of part one. Here comes part two. So, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. And he goes on this long list of things. The the things that we should put to death have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Now, you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, wrath, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this life, it doesn't matter if you were Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Let me pray. God, would you help us to allow these words to become more than words and phrases and big ideas, more than just abstract notions 
of the reality that, that Paul talks about. May these words become truth to us. Help us to know how to do that. Help us to know how to make sense of abstract uh, realities and invitations and make them real to us, practical, for our lives, for our family, for our work, for how we see ourselves. Help us to make this real. We pray this in your name. Amen. Paul uh, has this very clear contrast, and the way the lens that I'm looking at is this lens of uh, there's this new life and there's this old life. There's this life that's around the heavenly realms and heavenly things, and he's saying it's uh, choose to reflect and dwell and look at those things. And then there's this other life, and he has this long list of things, quite frankly, I don't really relate to. I mean, I don't, I don't relate to, at least I don't use these words of being an idolater or sexual immorality or lust and evil desires. I, I've never thought about me sitting around and journaling as my evil desires. <laughs> and yet he has this, this way of almost covering all the bases. I don't think he's making the most exhaustive list of sin in people's lives. I think he's thrown out examples of things that he's seen recently. These are the types of things that people do who are not choosing to put on their new nature. Their old nature, the, the story that they're stuck in, has a lens to look through. And it's, it's about these kinds of things. And so here's the, here's the process. If you want to take notes today, here's, here's the notes from this passage. There's three things that Paul invites us to look at. Number one, to look at ourselves. We want to make the most of our lives. So how do we look at ourselves? Have you ever been around somebody that doesn't seem to want to do that. Have you ever been around somebody? Maybe you live with them. Maybe you're married to them. Maybe they're a kid of yours. Maybe they're a coworker. But the idea of them doing some honest self-reflection, humble look in the mirror, where I, I actually look at and, and see there might be things that are not right yet in me. Have, have you ever been around someone who's like, no, 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 I'm good. It's you all. It's you all that mess up. It's you all that don't get it. Have you ever been around somebody that has such an ego that they're not even willing to engage in a conversation? And you've probably tried to. You've probably hinted at, or maybe you took a big two-by-four swing at one time, and it didn't go well for you. They didn't seem to have the capacity or the interest in really doing a little inventory about themselves. Have you ever been like that yourself? I know I have. I remember uh, I always use my coaching stories. I used to, when I was, my first kid was uh, first uh, playing sports and I was his coach, I was, it was baseball and I was super intense, really intense about baseball. Mind you, these were six and seven year old boys, so I had every right to be. And uh, I would just be in the outfield barking orders and I used to get, I, I would feel it in my pocket, I'd feel these buzzes, these vibrations of text messages from my wife in the stands saying, knock it off. Like when my son was pitching particularly, I would feel a lot of the vibrations. And I would just turn to her. I'd be like, not now. <laughs> I'm coaching. And I would just be like, you know, drop your shoulder. I mean, get, bring the glove in. Like, uh, try better. I don't know what I would say. I would say all these uh, inane baseball euphemisms that he didn't even understand what I was saying. But I was saying them so intense. And she would be saying, like, chill out. And then on the way home, I knew that we'd probably debrief the game when I got there. 
And I would say things like, you just don't understand. He's just not listening. And I would, I, you just don't understand. Like, that's what you do in sports. You just don't understand. Like, we have to win these games. Uh, you understand the pressure of these parents to, so that I make sure they win and all the other coaches have, they're even more tense than I am. I had all these reasons and excuses why what I was doing was right and good and healthy. And all she would say is, look at him. Look at him. Look at how he responds when you give him orders on the field. Just watch. That's all she would say. And I'd go in the garage. Be like, she doesn't understand about coaching. And I don't think Nick Saban has to go home and talk to his wife like this. Like, by the way, did you see Nick Saban yesterday upset on the field? Oh, it was, he, he had a little like, um, kid fit on the sideline when someone made a mistake. Uh, that used to be my coaching idol. I wanted to be like so intense that, that these young boys would rise to the occasion. So I, in many ways, that little anomaly of me being so self-righteous, I know how I'm doing this, and don't you dare tell me otherwise. I started to look at myself, because she made me. She would text me, and I would start reading the text, and I would make myself walk to the bathroom when I got out of control. I'd literally be like, I gotta go, guys, uh, assistant coaches, you know what you're doing, right? And I would jog out to the bathroom because I knew I had to get all this energy out. I'd run to the bathroom and I'd stand there in the bathroom and just be like, oh my gosh. And I would wait. Sometimes I missed an inning. I would wait. And they're always like, what's happened? I'm like, oh, I'm fine. (laughs) And I would wait until I was ready to go back in reality. In reality. So first, if you want to make the most of your life, you got to look in the mirror. And if you want to look in the mirror accurately, I believe you need someone else to hold it. You need someone else to hold the mirror up to you to say, look at this. And it doesn't mean that they're right all the time about everything, but they're probably more right than you want them to be. So number one, look in the mirror. Number two, look at Christ. That's what Paul is saying. And he says this multiple times in different letters, in different ways. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. That is an actual, like the verbiage in there is actually like to do it. And then later on he talks about put on your new nature. Put it on. It's, it's a process. Set your sights on Christ. Put on your new nature. Dwell on these things. Think about these things. Intentionally later on in this passage too, he starts talking about how you need to uh, teach one another, sing uh, psalms and hymns to one another, remind each other of what's true, talk about Christ himself. Why? Because Jesus himself is the mirror that we look at to actually learn what's right. Jesus is the mirror that we look at and look at his life and meditate on his life and not just read it and be like, oh, that's interesting, but actually meditate on it, think about it, and it becomes a mirror to who we really are. I am not someone who is so ego-driven that I need my kids to win at all costs. That's not who I am. I am not someone who needs to go to a 20-year reunion and say, look at what I've been up to. We remodeled. Of course, it paid for by State Farm because of a leak. But we remodeled our house, and it's amazing. I started two companies. Wow, look at me. And they're struggling to have payroll paid. (laughs) That's the reality. I do not. That's not who I am. I'm not insecure. I'm not fearful. I'm not really someone who needs to wonder if I have what it takes. I'm not someone who has to prove myself. I'm not someone who has to get you to like me. 
That is not who I am. I look at Jesus and he tells me who I am when I choose to look at him. You want to make the most of your life? You look at yourself and you look at Jesus. And in Jesus, we see how he responds, how he responds to temptation. If you were here last week, we talked about how Jesus responds to these temptations to have more, do more, and be more spectacular. He says no every single time. Nope. Having more doesn't do anything for me. Doing more, accomplishing more, uh, flexing more doesn't do anything for me. Uh, Getting people to think I'm wonderful doesn't do anything for me. I'm not going to live in that story. He's going to live in a different story. How can we be like him? It's only by choosing to meditate, choosing to look, putting on the nature of compassion and humility and kindness and generosity, choosing those things. And they start actually to feel right as we do. Choice after choice, small step after small step turns into these big results inside of us. Now the third thing, the third look we need to do We're looking at ourselves, we're looking at Jesus, and now we look out around us into the world. If you want to make the most of your life, you figure out where you can make a difference. Some of us, I think, are called to and invited to make a difference on a a bigger stage, on a more social, uh, public stage. Uh, and, And it's because you're a part of a startup or leadership of a church or you're leading a company in a certain way or you're doing something out in the community. Most of us, however, when it comes to what's around us, we see, again, back to those little narratives. We see family. We see neighborhood. We see friends. We see extended relatives. We see the people that we see all the time at work. You maybe have heard that, that Greek term, oikos. It's not just a yogurt. It's a Greek term that means household. And the, the idea is that there are 6 to 15 people. Sociologists use this as a grid. 6 to 15 people that every single person has one, oikos. And it's the 6 to 15 people you see the most. And it's not necessarily your best friends. Sometimes it's not even your family. It's your, it's your coworkers. It's the neighbor you see every day, taking out the trash. It's... It's the people you see on Zoom now. You're oikos. Everybody has one of those. That is a part of the story. So as we look out onto the field of view, what is it that the realities of heaven want to make the realities of earth? Which part of those stories, which narrative, which, which story do you have in your life where when you look at yourself, when you look at Christ, and you start looking through the lens of what would change if God was in charge there? What would be different? I've been uh, doing this as a practice for years. I, I'm a walker. I just love walking. I don't know why. I just love walking. I can, I can wax on about the benefits of walking and why real men walk. And I've read, I forget if it's Emerson or Thoreau, talk about walking. I've read those essays. I, uh, Stoics like to walk. I love walking. It has a neuroscience benefit to you. Left, right, left, right, meditative. I love walking. I got a dog a couple years ago so that I wouldn't look weird when I walked. And I love walking our neighborhood. And sometimes as I walk, I try to look at my neighborhood through the lens of the realities of heaven. What would be different on this walk if I look through that lens? And you know what? It's a subtle shift but it's a real small thing that I start doing. I start looking at people who are walking towards me on the other side of the street. Small. But if God were in charge here and my, 
my normal MO would be just to keep, to keep my head down. I'm an introvert. I don't really, that, I don't know. I don't want to make you feel awkward. I got all these reasons not to do it. Uh, certain people bug, I don't know if you do this, but certain people just bug me about how they walk and, you know, how they talk to their dog and why their dog always barks at my dog. And, but if God were in charge of my walk, I would be different. I, it's a small, subtle, tiny thing. If God were in charge of me when I sit down at my desk in the morning, I start responding, looking at all my emails. If God were in charge of how I email, there would be subtle changes. If God were in charge of me when the Zoom pops up and I were looking through the realities of heaven and who God is and what God wants for these people in this 30 minutes or 60 minutes or please God, don't make it 90 minutes, in this Zoom call, it would be different. I would show up differently. I would ask different questions. I would respond differently. When I don't get what I need from some project, I, don't, I didn't see them get, they said they do it by Monday afternoon. It's not Monday afternoon. And I start thinking about that person. I would actually, if I would step back, look at myself, look at Christ, and look back at them, it would be different. How I thought about them, talked about them, and treated them. And all of a sudden, here's what happens. When I start looking out through the lens of the heavenly realities, I become a part of a more interesting story. See, it's not interesting to be a part of a story where you're just trying to think about getting through the day. It's not interesting to just try to get your uh, to-do list done. It's not interesting to try to get your kids to score a lot of goals. It's not interesting to go to a reunion and brag about yourself. It's not interesting. It's not interesting to be somebody who's uh, always feeling like the victim. Oh, what was me? Nothing ever goes my way. It's not interesting to be a villain and tear other people down. It's actually not interesting to be a supporting cast of someone else's story either. What's interesting? The most interesting thing that I've found that Paul invites us to is to actually be a part of this adventure of rewiring things right here, right now. My family, my marriage, how I treat my kids, how I look at and talk to my neighbors, how I interact with people over email and Zoom and work meetings— how about I start thinking about, my wife texted me yesterday, are we going to throw our annual Christmas party? I'm like, oh gosh, that seems like really stressful and taxing. And I don't know if it was fun last year. So maybe I just don't want to do it this year. And then if I, as I was preparing this, literally I'm like, God, we're in charge. And I were becoming who Jesus has me to become. Absolutely, we would host that party. And we would do it differently. Not just to make sure the house is clean and everyone has their appropriate drinks and the beverages and make sure the recipes. And the, I always do a really nice holiday cocktail if you ever get to come. Uh, I would think about how do I engage with people there so that they feel known, accepted, like they belong. Not just because they belong because I put their coat on a rack and we had a really nice little organized charcuterie board. But because I was so interested and engaged in their lives and their stories. That's different. That's the invitation. Paul says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. We don't do that just once. We don't just do that on Sundays. You want to make the most of your life? You take that invitation for what it is. An invitation to be a part of a story right here, right now. To be a part of changing and growing and bringing the realities of heaven wherever we go. Would you pray with me?
God, I know that, uh, that this invitation is real. I know that you invite us to become more and more like you, which is more and more like ourselves and who we're meant to be. But I also know that, uh, the temptations, the distractions. I also know uh, the cost to that, the cost to looking at myself, the, uh, the humility that it requires, the surrender that it would take, the admissions, confessions, and that can feel very terrifying. And I pray, God, that you would give each of us the courage to look more clearly and more deliberately in the mirror, even if that means having someone else hold it up. And as we do that, God, may we see you and hear your voice about acceptance and love and compassion. We don't have to tidy up. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to hide. We can bring everything to you. And as we deliberately dwell on who you are and who you are right now with us, God, I pray for each of us that today, this week, that would do something inside of us. We'd actually feel a shift And maybe that would manifest uh, feeling more hopeful or more optimistic or excited or more engaged or energized. But I pray that you would shift something in us so that we can uh, know that there is another narrative. There is the reality of a different story for our families and for our marriages and for our, our friends and our family, for our neighbors, for our coworkers, and for our community. And God, if the Padres can win... <laughs> God, I know there's a, there's a story that we can win to win by making the most of life, win by participating in your kingdom. So would the kingdom come in us, through us? In Jesus' name, amen.
I was with someone this week. We were studying the Bible in this uh, uh, business meeting, which uh, you can do. And a gentleman said, I read the Bible every single day and have for 10 years, and I still don't really get it. And it struck me. Uh, I've heard that many, many times from lots of people. I just don't get it. I don't understand it. Well, I want to invite you back in about 20, 30 minutes into this room where we're going to talk about that, show a video. It's called Alpha. And the whole topic today is, what is the Bible? How do I read it? And I just want you to know, it is readable. However, it's complex. And learning the keys for how to understand and how to read it has changed my life, and I know it could change yours. And although it's an ancient document, it has absolutely relevance for us today. I think there's nothing else even close to what it could do for you and for me. So I want to invite you back to that. But now, may God the Father bless you with the wisdom that you need this week. May God the Son remind you and whisper to you about how much you're loved and accepted and belong to him. And may God the Spirit help you be more patient, more loving, and more kind than you were last week. (laughs) Amen.